You're listening to Emma Nash, Screen Queens. Hello, you are listening to Emma Nash, and we are the Screen Queens, bringing you the finest cross-generational tips on what to scroll past and what should make your watch next list on your streaming weapons of choice. I'm Ash, the millennial blogger who has now had to see Top Gun one time. And here is M, the Gen X mum of three, who refuses to accept Christmas as a genre. Hi, Em. Hi there. If you've seen mm. Top Gun, maybe by um, Christmas, I'll be forced to accept it as a genre. Maybe you can persuade me in the lead up to Christmas that it will be a genre. Mm. We can, we'll have to change the intro completely. But how are you? I'm all right, love. How's producer Stu? I'm um, good. Thank you very much. You both well? All good? We're all good. We've got some day drinks going. It's Saturday. It's just after midday. I started before midday, so there's no point in me even saying that. <laughs> I'm still on squash, but I do have a beer here. Uh, uh, crack it open. Well, once well, once I have some delicious glass. mimosas lined up. Mm. I always like to use the American word for them because I just think it sounds prettier and less 70s than Bucks Fizz. That's just, you know, just trying not to give my cross-generational age away. I've just realised Bucks Fizz and mimosas are the same thing. Oh, my God. But Orange juice and fizzy wine. But when they sell Bucks Fizz in a shop, it's like 4%. Well, who would buy it in a shop? I don't know. I don't understand. Who would that do? like boxes in a can anyway how's everyone's week been has anyone got anything exciting to share um, about their week oh, around my house a little bit naughty and went to the pub again last night that was uh, that was, again um I, I would just i'd had a severe case of the fridays and i was trying to find out if anyone wanted to hang out either one of the greens in cambridge or, or wherever and then some friends said they were going to go to the green dragon so i said sorry i'm gonna go join them have a couple of drinks in the sun lovely lovely i won't lie i had i had a i had a case of the blues this week i think i've just had a bit of a flat week i think yeah maybe that's the weather wasn't great things are changing but not changing when it's ever so muggy in it muggy head muggy weather close it's been close but then i cheered myself up last night too i decided to break out by obviously watching some great content for this podcast that helped to, always to helps. Me out of my bad mood. Always we had to there. we had to strip some stuff out. We had two more things to talk about, but we can only fit in. We didn't want to do seven things, so the five things we've gone for our oldie but goodie this week is the Truman Show. I had to do my first finally. ever, finally my Marvel homework. The first ever time was Iron Man. You loved it, which, <laughs> right? I was. <laughs> You nearly lost me at the end, and then it was like 15 or 20 minutes to go. You're like, you can do it. Stay awake, Sarah. I was like, oh, okay. Um, down this, some shit with Zac Efron, down to earth. Um, Tom Hanks's <laughs> new film. It's a war one, but I liked it. Um, and Charlize's one, which I also thought I was going to hate. The Old Guard. It's all right. I thought I'd hate that. And yeah, I was surprisingly surprisingly taken by it actually in fact we stayed up very late to watch that on Thursday night me and husband with a bad taste got so into it we carried on watching it after we put the kids to bed and we were up very late and anyway what order what order should we do them in what should we start talking about well, the old sh- guard first should we do the old guard mainly because it's very it both of us actually Emma and I said oh actually no Stuart I think agrees that it's very similar to the warrior nuns we did last week you and I Emma like this better Stuart not so much. He liked his nuns. But it's um the great thing is I came into this without reading anything about it or watching a trailer. So if you even if you read the tiny little sentence that describes it on Netflix or is it Amazon? One of those two. Netflix. It's a new yeah. Netflix production. Okay. I have I have things to say about that. Yeah, so don't read the the little sentence that describes it on Netflix goes straight into it because within the first five minutes, there's this brilliant scene. I was like, hang on, like, is what? I, I, yeah, it was very I confusing. I had seen the trailer and they make it, the premise of the film is, is in completely apparent from the beginning of the trailer. So I don't think it's a twist that we can't talk about because clearly the makers of the film oh, are yeah. approaching it with. Is the scene you're talking so, about the one um, with the shoes? Yes. yes. Okay. um but it's it's a bit like worrying and that there is a supernatural element uh there's a crack team of fighters who are 
trying to protect something and or find something. Um, and it's all right. You know, I realized watching this, I don't really like Charlize Theron because I just kept being so surprised I didn't hate her in this, which reminded me that I don't really like her. Well, listen, I thought it was a bit odd for her to be in this in a sort of action role. And as, as, as you said, I was a bit disappointed by this film. And I think it just seemed like a very odd casting for her. Um, I think she's better than this film, to be honest. I think she's done some great, better stuff. Um, for example, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I think that's probably the best sort of action role she's been in. And this sort of, yeah, it didn't really hit the mark for me. I think she's got, she, she, she can do better. <laughs> but it had an atomic blonde kind of, you know, that did, she, she made atomic blonde, didn't she, a while ago? So this Number is again. Number two is coming out. An it's an adaptation, I believe, of a graphic novel. And I have a feeling they're setting up. I think they're hoping to make a trilogy for it. But for me, one of the first podcasts, we reviewed Extraction. That massive, the, the big Netflix vehicle, I think has had the biggest watches of anything for Netflix, starring Chris Hemsworth, um, and made for around 65 million. Now, coincidentally, this has got a very similar budget, and it felt very similar. It feels like you've got an A-list star, who's obviously got a bit of time on their hands, is approached by Netflix, and then they surround them with a kind of generic international cast, international European cast, if you like. In this, you've got Matthias Schoenhardt, who I do actually love from his portrayal of Gabriel Oak in Far From the Madden Crowd with Harry Mulligan. Ooh. Very different. He is, I find him quite dreamy. I like Matthias Schoenhardt. He's a bit wasted in this, but he's Belgian, for example. And then I think the two guys, Joe and Nikki and her team, they are, Ita one of them's, at least one of them's going to be Italian. Luca Marinelli is his name. Um, Kiki Lane, who joins as a kind of US Marine, the, the, the newest fighter on the block, if you like. She's, She's you know, cool. American. Yeah, so I think they surround them. And then you have a, a, a great guest spot from Chiwetel Elijah Four, and a not so great guest spot from the worst baddie ever, who is Harry Melling, otherwise known as Dudley Dursley. That killed me. That bad. That was him. I couldn't place I, him. Who, who's that? Who's Dudley Dursley? I don't know who that is. like the CEO of Big Pharma or whatever. And I just cast him. Me. He's the little kid at the beginning of Harry Potter who lives with the young. He's the cousin of Harry Potter and is horrible to him. Right, I wouldn't know that. He's evil like He's dirty, so I couldn't. It was hard for me to get that out of my head. But um, like I say, and it just feels like, and then they this this starts off in the Sudan and Morocco, moves to northern France, then ends up moving to like London and Guildford. But I just feel that Netflix are shoving these. Like I say, it, it's one big star. Surround them with a, a, a sort of C-list cast, stick them in international locations, and boom, there is your Netflix international market right there. Again, more parallels with Warrior Nun then, because the, the, the massive sort of European setting for for Warrior Nun again as well from last week. Um, but also, I yeah, think I think like the budget though, Warrior Nun is much better made. Oh yeah, I'd agree totally. Um, I think as well. Um, yeah, again, in the casting of the villain, I think that the, the poor casting is up there with the awful, awful casting of the villain of the first Wonder Woman film because that was just diet and I hated that too. You know I haven't seen that. Oh no, I think I have. I think I reviewed it on the radio. Is that the one where they're all wearing little fur mini skirts and crop tops? It's when yeah, with the mascara when all that like, starts out <laughs> on on the lady on of the, the lady. Yeah, the Amazons, the yeah. Right. That was I had a problem with the costuming on that film. Um but yeah, the thing I, the main thing I liked about this was Kiki Lane, that young um, American actress, and she was in If Beale Street Could Talk. You must see If Beale Street Could Talk. She plays the lead in that, and she's incredible. And this is only maybe the sixth thing she's done, so watch out for Kiki Lane. I think, I think we, I'm going to say, I mean, the, the, the twist in this is basically, and I think that's the most interesting thing about it. The idea is that these, and like I say, on a graphic novel, they are immortals and they are fine, mm -hmm. you know, they are fighting for goodness, but it, they, and it's that idea of having to do things over and over again. And the thought of just being so old and so tired of, of being good when you are immortal, which they don't really study to the depth and interest they should do. But I'm going to disagree with you. I enjoyed, although Charlie's thrown Sort of generally looked a bit miserable as the oldest of them all. She really has had enough, and her kind of arresting face was just generally a bit doleful. I think that the action scenes were pretty well choreographed. She has the most awesome kind of um, mass, I don't even know what is it, what like a, a, a sort of medieval weapon of choice is hers. It's like a huge mm -hmm. kind of double headed axe or whatever. And I think she can move really well. They did all the stunts themselves, apparently. But the director is it's a woman, Gina Prince Bythewood. He hasn't done an awful lot, but I was disappointed with the direction. I just thought it lacked any kind of chutzpah or inventiveness or excitement. I thought the things were there 
there's something that could have been better and it was there were like I say I, I enjoyed the premise of it I enjoyed the story of it and I enjoyed where it where it kind of took us but I just felt it was really pedestrianly directed yeah. like all the props were there but they didn't do enough with them yeah it's very tv <laughs> yeah. movie feel which feels a bit ropey to me and again I think maybe this will it's quite obvious there's going to be at least one sequel when you get to the end halfway through you know there's going to be at least one sequel so I hope they focus on the bits that I found more interesting than anything else in this film, which is what um, Shiwatel Ejiofor has been um, researching his entire life. I really liked that extra element to the story. So I will watch the second one because what yeah. comes out at the end is interesting to me. I think I probably agree. Well, the the bad taste. Oh, sorry, sorry. To I was just saying that, yeah, I probably agree and watch the second one on the basis that it's set up everything up. Um, I'm hoping it'd be one of those rare examples where the sequel is better than the first one. Like Home Alone and Adam's Family. Hudson with a bad taste is hoping for a kind of um, Forrest Gump ish in the second. He was like, he was because obviously they've been fighting throughout time. So he was hoping for some photoshopped kind of video work with them lurking in the background. Being there was a little bit of that. There was a tiny bit of that. But yeah, nothing, nothing like the giddy heights of Forrest. He wanted he wanted more, but I think obviously it's a net. It, it is a Netflix production, so it's being like like we've just discussed. It's being made for an international release. It's being made for streaming on your TV anyway. They they were, It was never going to be a cinematic release. Um, Fair enough. And for that, I think it. I think you could do a lot worse with your, you know, because almost everybody, I'm sure, everyone who listens to this, if you haven't got all the streaming subscriptions, most people have got Netflix. And I think as part of your six ninety nine a month or whatever, it's you could do a lot worse than <laughs> than watch this. And I have done a lot worse than watch this. Well, I've watched Down to Earth. You've done worse for less. (laughs) (laughs) Right. On that bombshell that Emma Marchant has done worse for less. That's The Old Guard. It's on Netflix and it is certified 15. Shall we go on now? I think this might be the best thing this week. And I didn't, I wasn't planning on doing this homework. I had spare time yesterday because again, I'm very set in my ways. Can't be asked trying new things. Why do I ever do that? And I just really hate wartime dramas. Like, pfft, Saving Private Ryan. Even. Oh, it's me. Go on, Ashley. I love Saving Private Ryan. About Saving Private Ryan. <clears throat> it was long. Like, the people in it were nice. I cared about them, but it, it just does all feel very samey. I'm going to get vilified for this, I know, because my favourite films are carbon copies of each other made in... 1993 all of them I think um but (laughs) on Apple TV Tom Hanks is starring in Greyhound which is about um the beginning of World War II and the Nazi U-boat wolf packs the Grey Wolves are stalking um their enemy waters and bringing down any kind of trade ships they come across so they're trying to break apart the um American European trade lines and it was treacherous so when I saw what I liked about this story was it was very close quarters it's one boat one captain one small team and then at the end when they tell you how huge this was I was like Jesus Christ like tens of thousands died and it's just a really cute little story 72 and a half thousand souls were lost they said and 31,000 31, vessels or something was something, something is, incredible yeah but, yeah, but it, it's based on a novel it's based on a 1955 novel and interestingly oh. obviously tom hanks is loves some second world war stuff because he wrote the screen he wrote the screenplay for this it's obviously a topic that he is he is he loves about. he loves and those hats as well little captain's hat loves a captain's hat <laughs> So he wrote the screenplay. What I'm going to say, I watched nearly all of this. I didn't quite finish it because one of my children had a semi-breakdown about going to a friend's house, which is not unusual for him. They're very dramatic. Well, you know, look at their mother. Um, So I, but I did see, I've I've seen almost all of it. And what I appreciated actually at the very beginning, particularly as Tom Hanks wrote the screenplay, he does not shy away from getting you straight into the naval jargon immediately. It's quite hard to follow verbally at the beginning if you are not a if you are not a um, massive World War II naval fan. <laughs> um, Tom Hanks is, is front and centre of this film, all, you know, as always, and does mm-hmm. this you know, stoic, decent, 
captain shtick so well that you know again it's it's beautifully done but for me not enough human interest i'm afraid I, it's only an hour and a half long and i appreciate it does feel a bit like a submarine film even yeah. though it's on a boat it's shot in that kind of very intense claustrophobic way but i i never felt that we were going to lose anyone key in this i never felt that that you know tom hanks was they were going to lose the boat for example so i i didn't i wasn't carried along by it I think the I think the human interest element is more subtle in it. I mean, it's um, it's it's touched upon lightly. So obviously, it's, it's less about the human interaction, but it's the observations of what they're going through. So um, simple things like the fact that pretty much the entire time, for days on end, they're all they're all on their on their on their feet because of the the, the every time they get to a lull where that you might think a degree of sanity is going to return to their lives and they get a little calm. No, you both alarm again. again. Yeah next next conflict next engagement and I, I think that sort of that that's the i think that's the human element going through there but i can see what you're saying it's not enough actual sort of interaction between people but it's more uh them interacting with the with the situation they find themselves in i think it's an incredibly good hour and a half of sh you know of showing a side of world war ii that you don't think about it showing mm -hmm. what it must have been like to have been yeah, on those yeah. boats and like I say, they do a very capable job. The other issue for me a little bit, though, was it's quite clearly a CGI sea and there's many, many shots of the, of the kind of digitalised waves. And that then would take me out from these very intense claustrophobic scenes on the deck when the camera would then pan out over a clearly digital grey Atlantic Ocean. It took me out a little bit, but there was a marvellous shot at one point, though, where they pan it out and then they pan up and you see the northern lights above above the Atlantic, you kind of get a sense of, of how far north you are. And like you say, yeah, you know, it's, it's 60 hours with no air cover. That's where they are. That's that, that, that's the thing they've got to get through. And it does, yeah, I think like it, it, it's very respectful. And I think it's very authentic. And I enjoyed it for all of those reasons. But mm. I just wasn't hugely drawn in. Very good, tight hour and a half. And any director who can't do their job in under 110 minutes isn't good. This is Aaron Schneider. This is only his second full-length feature thing he's done a short he's done an episode of tv um and then he did something called to uh, get low and this is his first big full-length feature thing so great job from aaron schneider there um and because i normally do find these kind of wartime stories a bit draggy on and hard to follow i liked that it was one team we're looking at and it does pace along at just 90 minutes so by the time it ended i was like oh oh okay um and that's yeah it's very subtle there's nothing too overblown about the lovely romance um oh i had a good funny story <laughs> go on emma well, what were you messaged say? us and said he cried <laughs> in the first five and i knew exactly oh God, why he cried so and he gave her a decoration and i thought that's what made us cry it's lovely Elizabeth with Christmas decorations. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm I'm over in Derry a lot with partner with the good shouts. And that's where they're trying to get to because it's there were so many American servicemen over in Derry because it's the westernmost point of Europe for them to land in. And there's um statues of the sailors and stuff. And David's grandma, God rest her soul, first-hand information this all the boys on the ships would spend all their commissary money on girls types and chocolate bars because they knew when they landed in Derry, a girl will do pretty much anything for a pair of nylons and a chocolate bar. Pretty much anything. <laughs> you, you definitely have. I think I know that for a fact. Um, but it's, that was another cute <laughs> thing that dragged me in. <laughs> but as a British viewer, it's a cute thing that dragged me in. They kept mentioning they're trying to get back to, well, the, the English guy on the phone was saying London Derry, our Tom Hanks comes through, is just trying to get back to Derry. And it was very cute. I did like that. But yeah, Greyhound, I loved, and it's not really my thing. It's an hour and a half on Apple TV, and it's only Certificate 12. It's nice. I think it's good. It, 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 it's, I, sorry. Okay. I was going to you say go. that it was good that it's a, it's a good setup for Apple TV and Tom Hanks' relationship because it's rumoured that Apple TV are also going to be doing the next instalment uh, of Tom Hanks' and um, Steven Spielberg's sort of collaborations on World War Ooh. II land because they did, obviously, they did, what is it, um, they, Private Ryan, obviously, they did the Band of Brothers, they did the Pacific together, and so the next one I understand they're going to be working on, and they've been trying to get this off the ground for the best part of a decade, is the next one um, basically focusing on the Air Force, but the problems um, with with funding it have been phenomenal because it's 
it's going to be a lot of CGI, basically, because if you're in the air a lot, you're not going to be able to fly in real planes unless they do a lot of um, digging up of all these historic planes and flying them. That's going to cost a hell of a lot of money. And with the dawn of streaming platforms and with the money bags that Apple obviously has access to, I'm sure that when it comes around, they're going to smash it. And that's one of the few times you'll hear me ever giving any praise or any positive feedback to Apple. <laughs> That was that you kind of answered my question. I was going to say that I presume this was up for a cinematic release, was it pre-COVID? Were they planning on, or was, or has it always been just an Apple TV production with Tom Hanks? That was my question. I tried to research it, and I can't, I can't work it out one way or another if this was due to have a cinematic release. But then they would have made it longer if it was going to go into a cinema. They wouldn't have done an hour and a half. I don't think. That's what I was thinking, because it is, you know, it is. And I like the fact he's obviously, you know, this character is this deeply religious man as well. And there are these nice touches where even when other soldiers swear, they're not really meant to swear. And he always gives grace over all his food. And he's just a very, he's such a decent and honourable person. And, a de and, you know, and Tom Hanks is such a decent and honourable actor. So I did have a little, I did give a little prayer to think, of course, because he was one of the first high, um, high profile victims of COVID. And I did give myself to say, thank goodness we still have you with us, Tom. Because the world would be a sadder place without Tom Hanks, that's for sure. Amen. The novel, by the way, this is based on is called The Good Shepherd. So if you know that story, Greyhound is the retelling of that story. So from the high, high, giddy highs of Tom Hanks and Greyhound, Emma, you suggested this sh shite. So why don't you tell us what Down to Earth is about? Both suggested. Um, okay, so. Netflix, as well as making, as we've just talked talk about, your internationally based substandard action thrillers, is also doing a bit of a line, sort of celebrities doing good, well-meaning, well-living, clean living, this kind of thing. They did a collab with Gwyneth Paltrow, which I've not watched, we'll discuss with Gwyneth Paltrow later in. I am not my favorite. And this was um, dropped on Netflix a week ago and it's called a Down to Earth with Zac Efron. And that's actually the whole title. It's not just Down to Earth and I'm adding in with Zac Efron. It's Down to Earth with Zac Efron. With me. With me, with my dreamy blue eyes and my huge torso. Anyway, um, obviously pre-COVID, pre Zac Efron has hooked up with someone he claims to be friends with. Uh, but I'm not sure how well they know. A guy called Darren Gillen, who's written a book on sustainable living and eco-friendly. Darren so Olean, I've got. Darren Olean. Olean? Darren. You said Olean. Gillen. Yeah. He's a wellness expert, folks. Olean. He has a nice deep voice. Um, in this, I think it's an eight-part series, and each week they take us somewhere different. Zach and Darren and their team, and they take us to a different country and show us different ways in which they are being sustainable, perhaps things. So they started off in Iceland, which obviously after the love for Fire Saga, I think maybe that sort of sucked me in. I you know, another trip back to Reckonvish. That's how you tricked me into sticking with this <laughs> till the end of the episode. So they go to Iceland and they, you know, and, in, and Iceland is an interesting um, example because obviously they have moved from being totally reliant on oil and gas imports to being completely self-sustainable with their own greenhouse gases and all that thing. So that's great. And the Icelandic people they met were all charming as you would expect them to be and they ate nice food and they cooked eggs in the in the sand. But it did feel exceptionally dumbed down like this is something that is made for Zac Efron's younger fan base maybe. It's like, look kids, green stuff's good. And you know, he's pretty charming, Zac Efron, in his own way. But I would say that Darren is more than a little smug, let's say, about life in general. And these guys are, at the end of the day, privileged, rich, white Americans. In fact, it made me think of that whole joke in Fire Saga about how much Iceland hates Americans. But they like to, you know, they need them for their tourism, but how awful they all are. But English people will not pay $14 a pint. We ain't stupid. And then the second episode, they go to Paris to talk about drinking water, but they have this whole ridiculous scene at the beginning where they invite Anna Kendrick to a restaurant in Hollywood where they have actually. Oh, this sounds excruciating. No, that's quite entertaining because they end up going to Lord to talk to the guy about, the, you know, the, the, the pure source of water in Lord and, and the miracles and that kind of thing. And the guy has got no idea who they are and could not be less impressed with them. So that was quite entertaining. So I managed to make it in three episodes, but the last episode made me. Furious. And this I only watched one, so go ahead. 
Well, yeah, you can you can say how bad it was after one. In the third episode, they go to Costa Rica, where I have been to in 2004. So it was nice. It was interesting, though, for me to see that Costa Rica, a little bit like Tulum that I revisited two years ago, has really been taken over by that kind of type of American who is rich enough to be able to get out of their house, have a beautiful amount of artistic tattoos all over their body, have great hair, um, but well then kept going, you know, oh, gonna live off the grid in Costa Rica. And so Darren takes Zach to like his friend's commune and it was just packed full of those worst kind of entitled Americans who think they're being brilliant, but are really just living some kind of- They're in a resort. 1950s dream and then they end up going like what looked like basically a posh backpackers with a lot of kind of and they all had to stand around in a circle to say thanks for the food that they were being given and it was just yeah it was just a bunch of I think gap year type Americans who were there and I was like this is this is not telling me anything I don't know this is it's called just- a gap yar Emma Gap yeah. So there were a lot of traveling pants, there were a lot of traveling beads, there was a lot of fake dreadlocks. So, you know, again, cultural misappropriation. And I think that episode, and then they just spent 15 minutes showing them doing a zip line tour, which is a big thing in Costa Rica, obviously. So it just feels a little bit like everyone is a bit of a tourist, um, tourist information or tourist advert for the destination with Zach Efron, who's not the brightest. Let me also entertain you with in the second bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ranting about this, aren't I? But this made me laugh because I was watching this with Jago, the youngest, and they go in the Channel Tunnel. So they go to London, then they're going to France <laughs> to Paris. You told me this. <laughs> they go to Paris to talk about the way that Paris um, do their water because Paris does have this excellent water system. They have free fountains with sparkling water and this sort of thing, and they have apps to show you where your nearest water is. And they're very sustainable, using all their water. So they get in there. Zach Efron is in this car as they drive up the Channel Tunnel. His voiceover is like, we are in a car, we are going to get in a train, which goes into a tunnel, which goes under the water for 32 miles. I am fucking freaking out. <laughs> and Jake was like, the most ridiculous thing I've ever watched. It's just it's a the channel, channel fucking tunnel. Relax. We watched it on the news and we were seven. <laughs> I feel that they, I feel that they're trying to maybe make a bit of drama. And then when they get to the other side, which is just outside Calais, which is really not one of the nicest parts of France. Anyway, Darren Cheap made wine. Zac Efron get out of the car to feel the earth, but he's like, this one I like oh, to for I get God's to sake. I like to get out and feel the earth under my feet. And Zac Efron's like, this place is so beautiful. And you're like, oh, dude, it's like just- It's a lorry park <laughs> with a supermarket serving, selling you wine for a euro. <laughs> it's- <laughs> Not that I'm obviously dissing anybody who lives for South of Calais. But anyway, yeah, it's ridiculous. I was hoping it would be either more insightful or more entertaining. It, yes. it just a lot of obnoxious smug people, I think, traveling around. And I yes. like and I like Zac Efron. I mean, it doesn't stop me. He comes across quite well and he seems quite likable still. He doesn't seem like a complete dick. Good. But- well, women trust your instincts. I knew within 10 minutes of this first episode that I wasn't going to watch any more and I didn't and I'm glad I didn't. It looks and sounds as dumb as Emma has just told me it is. <laughs> You would have hated it and you would have hated me for making you for making your homework. It's I've got homework good. for next week. Okay. But Zach Efron, it's mm, I, I do think you're right. He has dumbed it down for the age of people he thinks will be watching, but he's really I think he and his friend in inverted commas think they're coming across a certain way, but they really are not. And he is coming across badly this guy is a fantastic actor go back and watch paperboy with nicole kidman and john cusack that was the best film i'd seen in three years when i saw that film why he's doing this gap yard mess i don't know we should talk about paperboy as an oldie but goodie sometime i would love to do that, that is it would frighten the- Stuart. it's a little bit midsummer oh no i think you can handle it Cool. Less, weird. less weird. No, there is one really weird bit, but it's less weird than oh, a weird bit. It's like a fever dream, that film. I went to go and see it when Jago was teeny tiny. I think to go, I was reviewing it, I think, for Bums on Seats. I left Jago with a friend of mine and went, so which was quite a novelty at the time anyway, because he was only about six months old. So I was like, oh, look at me, I'm free. It's 11 o'clock. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning and I went to go and see it in Cambridge. That's not and a morning film. And when I came film. out, I was literally shaking and I also could not believe I was actually in Cambridge because I think I'd been quite transported. We should definitely review the paper boy. Paper yes. boy was great. Anyway. 
Stuart, as a, a man whose age starts with a three, what do you think about the tanned and toned Zac Efron? <laughs> I thought he was really good at Baywatch, actually. And, and going back to what you were saying... Oh, shit, they remade Baywatch. Yeah, they did. He was actually really good at that. I enjoyed that. I through that remake of Baywatch, Stuart. <laughs> I, I liked it. I couldn't even get through it, and I was on the plane. I think like. it was because it had rock in it, and actually Zac Efron was quite funny. And to be honest, I, just, I went in it thinking it was going to be a complete shit show, and actually... It was possible. I enjoyed it. It was. It was. It was. It was amusing. I. I the Rock is just. He's the Rock. He's cool. He's great. He can pretty much make anything awful palatable. Pamela Anderson did not enjoy it. You heard it here first. Uh, I can't remember what TV show she was on, but she felt that bad TV should be left to bad TV. I think at the same. But if the Paperboy. Sorry. No, 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 Paperboy, Paperboy. I was going to say, no, if the Paperboy or the or Baywatch isn't your thing, just go back and watch High School. In some ways, go back and watch High School Musical. That man can move as well. Zac Efron is the most amazing dancer. Choreographed by Kenny Ortega. Um, he's, yeah, he's, and, I, and also 17 again. Come on, people. That was he's all right. So he was quite cute in that. But yeah, what 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 he's doing, the, the thing that annoyed me the most is even before I went into this, it's just white rich famous guys can do whatever the fuck they want and it's annoying and tedious um this would not have been made by an older actress it would not have been made by a bame actress it's only because he's hot and young and american she agrees to you i was gonna say do you think it might have come across better if they paired him up with a legitimate expert rather than some well-being guru so i it seems to me like Zach like is... a nutritionist or something with yeah. a PhD. Yeah, I don't know someone like that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I don't know someone who's actually legitimately an expert in their field. It wasn't that. another white American middle-aged guy. Zach's not middle-aged, but it's it. <laughs> it almost sounds as though, like the bit with the channel tunnel. It almost sounds as though if they, if they paired him with an actual expert who not knew what he was going on about, and they didn't and could take s- the piss out of him a bit, that yeah, would be funny. Think- exactly. I think, to be fair, this guy, has, you know, he has written a well-established book that has sold. I think he has got props. He has got credit. And um, just while we're talking, sticking through the user reviews on IMDb, and I tell you, this has been a massive hit with Zac Efron's younger fan base. We're just like, what an inspirational message. I watched all those eight episodes in a day. It's great. So I wouldn't knock them for trying to put something positive about sustainability and the environment out there. But I just feel the way in which it's done is just a little bit like we've got a nice budget to disingenuous. Yeah. Wouldn't we all like that? And at the moment, maybe because I'm so bitter and twisted because none of us can actually go anywhere. It just made me even cross up, perhaps. Dumb. My (laughs) Well, let's leave that shit show behind. That's Down to Earth with Zac Efron and Darren um, on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a certificate 12 don't watch it if you're above that well. age <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's true yeah and doing very well amongst Zac, Zac Efron's fan base okay shall we do the oldie but goodie now yes. we need to actually do an old old one at some point because this is only 1998 this is the year Stuart and I entered secondary school um Emma was already though. on her fourth that's husband <laughs> Um, her eighth <laughs> child. Um, I was moving to Australia in 1998. There you go. I was going for my two-year sojourn in Australia. A sojourn. We were um, buying new and of pencil course, cases. Made by, it's made by an Australian director because we're talking about the Truman oh, Show. It's it's the... And he is probably the most successful Australian director. I'm trying to think off the, off the top of my head of anybody else who could... Baz oh, the guy did Baz. Is He's Baz Australian, not Australian? Is Baz Australian? Baz is Australian. He just, he just well. Baz Lerman, George Miller, Peter Weir. There you go. Triumvirate. Nice. So who wants to talk who wants to talk about the Truman Show? Do you want to actually because you pointed this out because you said you've watched well, this it again, is... and just on Netflix? Yeah, so this is one I loved and we didn't know it was on Netflix, and it's one of my scratch-off birthday gift posters, so that's why we picked it. Um so it's by Peter Weir, who made the Dead Poet Society, Green Card, which I also quite liked. And I don't think we appreciated, because we couldn't, watching it in 1998, how prophetic this film is. Watching it back, I was, the guy is a time traveler. The way we talk about social media stars now, and the way the internet has changed people's lives and taken over people's lives, he, got that and wrote it down in 1998 and 
everything came true. It's crazy. If you don't know, it's Jim Carrey in one of his uh, straight serious roles, which he's incredible at. He's a bit like Will Ferrell like that. I know he came after him. They are incredibly brilliant at doing funny and serious roles. So he just is living his life. He's an insurance salesman, goes to work every day, white picket fence, nice nurse wife who cooks him dinner every night, very normal lifestyle or so he thinks. But um, one of my favorite DILFs of all time has actually built this huge, it's like the Simpsons episode where they put Springfield inside of a big dome for a reason I'm sure Stuart remembers. Um, That's a Simpsons movie, I think, isn't it? Is it the Simpsons it movie? It is the Simpsons movie, yeah. Why are they in a dome, the Simpsons movie, Stuart? The reasons. <laughs> oh, too. oh, he doesn't. He doesn't know. I am surprised. Mm-hmm. No, you would know. You would. Really? One of my children would know because we were on a plane watching. He watched the Simpsons movie three times in a row and laughed so hard <laughs> the entire the entire cabin was entertained by Miles on that particular flight. He Spider Pig. Spider Pig is iconic, <laughs> but the, yeah. So the Truman Show. Um, we, digress. we digress. Jim Carrey's character Truman Burbank doesn't realize he's living inside a TV show. So he was chosen as a baby. Um, The whole town he lives in is inside of this huge dome, which is a TV set. What he thinks is the moon is the control room. They've set him up from a young age to be scared of water. It's It's a waterlocked place he lives, so he can never leave. And he makes it to adulthood. He is married to Laura Linney. They have got to be in at least their 30s. And Truman has no idea that people watch him 24 hours a day. They have cameras behind the mirror watching him brush his teeth. They have cameras on all the buses to capture him driving to work. It's, it's, you would think watching it in 1998, we were like, oh my God, imagine if that ever happened. That could never happen. This is never feasible. And of course it now is. So London itself is the most CCTV covered city in the world. We film everything we do all day long. You can watch people live out their entire lives if you want to. But the um, twist in this show is, in the Truman Show, is whether whether they really got, ever really got his consent. And I think that's still relevant today. It's, it's a different type of consent that people who are choosing to share their lives give today. But that's really the, the crux of the show. Is it right to sacrifice one person for entertainment? And the drama comes because at the beginning things, so things, maybe the set's getting a little creaky after 35 years or whatever. So I think the first thing that Truman notices is the camera falls, one of the camera falls out of the sky and he can't, and that kind of leads him to become a little bit suspicious. And then he sees more things happen. Like when he, try, he tries to walk out into a road with busy traffic and everybody stops for him. He, he sees this, he's really, he wants to go and book a flight somewhere and they won't let him go there. But it's the supporting cast in this. Is, I mean, it is anchored by the most, beautiful performance by um by Jim Carrey that I've ever seen he is so he is he is sweet and 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 just so decent in the middle of it but as you just said your prime dilf Ed Harris playing Chris uh. creator is just a magical performance as well Laura Linney is the actress who's playing his wife he's he's great and annoying she's supposed yeah. to be annoying no Emmerich as his best friend because they're all he's being given horrible way Truman not to do what he should be doing with the soundtrack and the sweeping strings and the fake rain and the weather it just it is I think this is one of my I must have seen this film maybe seven or eight times I think it's mm. one of my most favorite films because I just think it's Peter Weir who like you say I mean he made Gallipoli he made Witness he did Dead Poets Society the Mosquito Coast Green Card he gets incredibly warm and human performances out of his actors I think and like I said I don't think Jim Carrey has ever been finer than in this 22 years ago trying to think of something else but no I don't think he's ever been finer and it it just is like you said Ashley it's so prescient for the time that we live in now and that is amazing to me that this was written by Andrew Nichol who I think hasn't he done the sci-fi writes on the sci-fi stuff but nothing that has hit the kind of levels of this but it's also entertaining and it's warmly funny and it's dramatic and it'll make you cry and it'll make you laugh it's just a really, really perfect form of entertainment. Yeah, and lots of three times Oscar nominated. So that writer, Andrew Nichol, um, nominated for a screenplay, director Peter Weir, nominated, and best actor in a supporting role, Ed Harris, Dilf extraordinaire, nominated. Um, Jim Carrey won a Golden Globe, so did Ed Harris. 
it's uh they the directors the, sorry the screenplay won a BAFTA it was it was the hugest film of 98 oh no it and can't yeah, have been it didn't win the Oscar fairly didn't win the I mean I think I, I remember being quite bitter that year that Jim Carrey didn't win the Oscar it was that old thing where you know you win the Golden Globes Jack Golden Nicholson because he's old but oh What's Titanic was 98 Titanic would have swept the board, so this went up against. What are you going to do against that, Hemeth? But yeah, Jack Nicholson won Best Actor for As Good as It Gets, which is nowhere near as good as this performance. He was crap in that. The film was okay, uh, but no, he was not. Oscars have proven that they, you know, they don't know their stuff. Crash over Brokeback Mountain. That's all I'm going to say. That is some bullshit um they did lose out to the goodwill hunting screenwriters affleck and damon so yeah i will give them that but this is still i, I think people didn't know how good it was going to be or that it would hold up because it's it was like watching sci-fi at the time and now this is quite close to lots of people's real lives I mean, it's another thing. And it has an excellent supporting role from Paul Giamatti. So it's got a really good cast. I, I'd like I say, I can go, but I've revisited this film so many times and I think everybody can do. Um, and if you haven't seen it, you should do it. If you have seen it a long time ago, you should watch it again because I think you will take different things with it sitting here in 2020. Stu, you haven't seen it for ages. When did you last see it? Oh, this is the thing. I'd have a hard time telling you exactly when, but I imagine <laughs> it probably predates the 2000s, to be perfectly honest. I think... Um, I may have seen it, but I'll, I'm re I remember it vaguely, and I, I and all the things you're saying about it, yeah, it's harking back memories and things. But I was going to say, sort of for me, uh, compared to your sort of pathetic look at it, it's kind of up there in a strange way. It's something very close to my heart, Star Trek, and that everything that you see on the screen in Star Trek, everything from the little tablets and things you see them using on screen and stuff. Automatic doors. Automatic doors. Everything just seems to everything that sort of these brilliant screenwriters and and so on imagineers imagineers they all all these things people are inspired by them having seen it on the big screen or on the small screen in the case of star trek for the most part um, and uh yeah it inspires a lot of the technology that, that ends up sort of coming about and it's 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 very sort of alarming to think that yeah actually back in 98 they basically they basically took, they basically invented the idea of big brother and it and yeah well, Aside from the fact 1984, the novel, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit creepy. It does really hold up as well. It didn't look dated at all, even down well, because, to soundtrack choice and stuff. It worked. I think that's because as well. Um, obviously, the the world of Truman is like you say, this kind of fake white picket fence 1950s suburbia style. So in 1998, the style of, I like Laura Linney in particular, because they also have this great thing, obviously they have to do product placement as well. And so at the beginning, the shots of, you know, she'll be cycling home and say, oh, hello, Truman, I'm home. And then she'll be like, would you like a coffee? With our Mars coffee, which is so ready and available. And it's, it's, not, it's things like that. It feels very 50s, made in the 90s. So I think it has a timeless quality to it. And it also just mm. has one of the best closing shots of any film ever, or the best, for me, the best closing uh... minute any film ever it's just a perfect piece of filmmaking i can't there's nothing about it that i would change and there's nothing about it that i that i can't say I, I it just stands up as a perfectly directed wonderfully cast wonderfully designed piece of art love it mm. love it love it love it almost a bit of stepford oh. wives as well to an extent it's very stepfordy isn't it um, but yeah, yeah, Laura, Laura Linney is, is brilliant in this. I hadn't really seen, I, I hadn't really seen her in much probably up to this, and she's so she is so perfect in this. And Natasha McKellen, yeah, who plays the kind of love interest who know who is trying to help Truman discover the truth, and she is she is also just yeah perfect casting, perfect casting. I do love it. Because like you said, especially his best friend, like everyone starts feeling a bit heartbroken when they can tell that he's feeling stressed and lost and knows something's wrong. And they're all actors and he's sitting there thinking these are his real life best friends. And especially his male best friend, you mentioned that you liked him, just you can see him struggling no, so hard. No, Emmerich. Struggling so hard with continuing to lie to this poor man. Um, because he's an actor and no I'm not your best friend no I don't really love you and there's a really great bit when they when um, I won't spoil it but when Jim Carrey is flicking through his wedding 
um, photo album, that's another time when he just like, there's something not quite right there. And he hones in on a bit of the picture. It's really good. Um, this, she's doing this. I'm showing you in the camera. I won't ruin it for you guys. But no, I, I love it. You're right. I'd like the fact that as different actors as well, and Laura Linney reacts very differently. She really has no, she doesn't seem to have much concern no about poor. She's just more concerned about what's going to happen to my job. And, and so it's on so many levels as well, so many layers. Yeah, I can't, like I said, I just think it's, 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 if you haven't seen it, see it. If you have seen it, seen it again. Definitely. And it just landed on Netflix. That is 1998's The Truman Show. And it's only a PG. It could be a U. It doesn't need to be a PG. Show everyone. It's great. Um, we're now at the probably worst point of the show. Um, <laughs> when I have to do my Marvel homework, I reckon we let producer Superman Tell us what he picked, why he picked it, and what it's about. So uh, we decided to go back in time. <laughs> exactly. And we went back to 2008 for John Favreau's uh, adaptation of Iron Man, the first in many Marvel movies that would follow. And as Ash is a bit of a, is a, bit of a critic, to say the least. A phobe. A, phobe. a Marvel phobe. A Marvel phobe of the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, we thought it best we take her back to the beginning uh, for her for her for her re-education. So what? Well, shall I tell you what I think happened? <laughs> so I know who Robert Downey Jr. is. Yep. So he plays. He's Iron Man. Also. What? <laughs> he's a he's a, he's a, he's a. What are you going to do? Tell us what you think happened in the film because you can't really remember it. Or well, oh, it's if... they're all right. Okay, <laughs> he's an he's an arms dealer. Tony Stark, Stark Arms Industries, Stark Industries, Industries. makes Stark big Industries. horrible weapons and sells them all over the world. And I'm not going to say to big horrible people because I think we are misreported on what these people's agendas are. Sells them to people who feels like they need them. Um, so, but then he gets captured and they turn him into Iron Man because he's, no. Okay, so. Wait, no, 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 remember. He's captured with a special engineer man who is tasked with finding something out, which I don't remember, but Tony gets him to make him the Iron Man suit and says, look, I can get us out of here and save us. So then he has this janky Iron Man suit and then escapes and then goes back home to Gwyneth Paltrow pots. Pepper pots. Like, oh, like um, like in the Beauty and the Beast, uh, kind of. And she is glad to see him back and he makes a better suit. I mean, I mean, <laughs> roughly, roughly. So you're not incorrect. Yeah. So Tony Stark. Where's the lie? Where's the lie? <laughs> Playboy billionaire and philanthropist is captured in. That's what I said. Yeah, more or less. Afghanistan. He is forced to uh, re-engineer one of his weapons um, by a terrorist organization, and instead he sort of allegedly terrorist. Allegedly terrorist. He pulls the, the wool over their eyes, as it were, and rather than building a weapon for them, he builds a weapon for his escape with the help of the engineer with whom he mentioned, um, and 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 basically goes on to, to become Iron Man. And it's 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 a creation story. It's it's his origin, um, and it's. Brilliant. I really I can't it. remember anything he achieves after he breaks out of the cavern. Though oh, you were asleep, though. Passed me by. I didn't. <laughs> I stayed up the whole time. I right. Can I actually maybe give a little bit of a critical insight into this film? Thank you very much, Ashley, rather than mm -hmm, just say what mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. about. This is really interesting to me because I've grown up with, I've said this all, you say this all the time on Bums on Seats. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has kind of echoed my own journey of motherhood. Do you like that? Because this is the 20th oh, yeah, say that. It started in 2008. So my entire life has been spent taking the kids to see, and in fact, coincidentally enough, in the last few years, their birthday, the twins' birthday, coincides quite often with the big release, the big April, April, May, May tempo release of Marvel films. However, I don't think I went to go and see Iron Man at the cinema because the twins would have been tiny and that was beyond probably even me to go and drag them into a cinema. Um, so I have seen it, but I haven't seen it for a while and I've never been, Iron Man has not been my favourite of the Marvel canon. 
but going back to watch this, I was struck in the first five minutes, and this is something having watched The Old Guard, that is the way to open up an action movie. You come into the pounding ACDC back in black soundtrack. You've got I Robert did Downey like Jr. the opening scene. Just Marvel could not have done any better than casting him in Iron Man. And, you know, he probably deserves the enormous coat of mind he wears. Because thanks to him and John Favreau's excellent direction, they managed to, you know, they, 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 that, that Marvel franchise got off the ground running and did not stop. But the first five minutes when he, he is captured in Iraq, it's so well done, really well done. And then I really like the fact that when he makes the first massive suit, to me, it felt just like I, the Iron Giant, Brad Bird's The Iron Giant, which is one of my it favorite It really reminded films. me of that, um, yeah, of the poem as well. And when they, yeah, they made that lovely and animation. It had that vibe to it. And then you go, and, and, I, I, and then you go, well, and, I did get some, this is an egg, because the, the baddie in it is Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges, again, led, adds, we were talking about how bad the baddie was in the old guard, obviously had no budget for it. But in this, Jeff Bridges is going to add kudos and weight and gravitas to anything. And he's really good in this. My interesting bit of possible rumour, possibly not, which I quite mm. like, a friend has told me this, allegedly. He's bold in it, Jeff Bridges. And apparently what he did was send a comedic picture of him, a fake picture of him with a shaved head to his stunt double to freak him out. His stunt double then shaved his head the day before production started. So Jeff Bridges had to do the same thing, apparently. Very Jeff. And that is he's playing it bold. But I love Jeff Bridges' voice. I love Jeff Bridges' voice. I do not love Gwyneth Paltrow, but she actually has quite a lot to do with it. Yeah, in the first Iron Man film, she is very much just like that, the the eye and the arm candy. Um, but her role evolves a bit over the over the series of the films. But I see what you mean. In the first film, she's basically, yeah, she's the, um, the, the love interest, the, 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 the slightly I, complicated... But I found her, I think I found her more charming in this than I did by the time it got to Endgame. By the time it got to Endgame, I was done with Pepper Potts. But, I, you know, they have a nice chemistry. I imagine they probably know each other. Really. Her and Robert Downey Jr. have a very easy easy breezy chemistry and of course also interestingly Ashley and you wouldn't know this playing the Iron Patriot or Rhodey Colonel Rhodes in this is Terence Hughes is Terence Hughes I should probably check my IMDB who then went on to go and do Hustle and Flow oh um, Terence Howard. Howard and they then sacked him because I think he's quite the diva Terence Howard and he Ooh, did not sexy. get on you know, well behaved so they sacked him and from Iron Man 2, you have instead Don Cheadle playing, who's now, who then has played it all the way through to Endgame, who now, frankly, is as old as dust. I always get a bit worried when he comes <laughs> on screen that he may just drop down dead of old age. But he does an excellent... But he was watching Terrence Howard, I was like, oh, Terrence, that was your bad, because actually he does it. He does a good fist of Rhodey. I think he's a good physical match. He, he seems a more realistic physical match than Rhodey Downey Jr., yeah, I mean, similar it, ages. And also, obviously, he too could be wearing a coat of money by now. It's so, in the so, same... You know, there's some... There's some yeah, in the same ballpark as uh, as what happened with Ed Norton. So Ed Norton, funnily enough, is in the MCU. From oh, the, wasn't the, he the green one? The Incredible Hulk, yeah. Yes. But again, <laughs> between him, kind of like Terrence Howard, he asked for too much money too early on. Um, and, and they're both probably you know, both kicking themselves uh, continuously for the Egypt. heaps of cash, not but just I, from being in the films, but from the I merchandise, think... yeah. But I think that it goes to show that over the last 10 years, I think they've done such a good job, the guys behind Marvel, in casting these roles. And so, you know, by the time you get to Avengers Endgame, you do get the sense that the guys that are now playing these roles from Robert Downey Jr. to Chris Hemsworth to Chris Evans to Scarlett Johansson, they genuinely seem to have an affection and a bond. And I, 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 could, I could wax the record about how great I think the casting is in the Marvel films. But they started off here with Robert Downey Jr. And I really really enjoyed watching this again i enjoyed every bit of it and i didn't like i say iron man hasn't really been my preferred i've been a guardians of the galaxy girl or a thor girl or the last two final avengers ones but yeah it's it's and that cry that first scene great soundtrack john favreau is a really talented director i like john favreau a lot I'm sure he but don't so watch chef chef is stupid i love chef <laughs> Yeah, I don't like Chef. Chef, oh, no, bang in your wheelhouse. Sorry, sorry, the movie Chef. I'm I'm thinking of the Chef show, which he does. Oh, you love the Chef show. The Chef show, also on Netflix, by the way. Watch that. The movie. The movie Chef I've never seen the movie Chef. I probably should do, having watched the Chef show, which um... it's like a rom com for people who own food trucks. But you I might have... love it. 
I know, I was just going to say very quickly, Stu might love it. I have a friend and we have remarkably similar tastes on everything apart from Chef. And they Ronald love the it. Shouts and just cannot... loves it. Okay. Loves it. But he's in well, love with Anthony Bourdain and all those kind of people. Yeah, he loves that kind of thing. I've got Marvel questions because I don't... Stuart's going to probably end his own life with the stupidity here. So... Is there a boss in this? And who's the boss guy? Is it from a different set of films where he's in an electric wheelchair and he's got superheroes that he You're trains? You're thinking of Charles Xavier from the X-Men portrayed right. by Patrick Stewart. Gosh, and... so That's not Marvel. Who's the Scottish guy? It is Marvel, but it's just... Oh, uh, is it? Um, it's uh, a different Marvel. It's X-Men. It's James McAvoy, James and Pat- Bender, and then when they're old, Patrick okay. Stewart. Exactly. But the difference so there is... Yeah, I mean, the difference for Ash's benefit is the fact that the at the time of those films being produced, the intellectual uh, rights were owned by 20th Century Fox, uh, whereas the Marvel franchise was up until... Does uh, Disney have it now? Disney now has Marvel rights. But yeah. Marvel, as you may know, or sorry, Disney rather, also recently bought 20th Century Fox. So that's why things like The Simpsons... Now the Simpsons appear- predicted that, by the way. Okay, the Simpsons do that a lot, and it's weird and creepy, and they should stop it. It makes me worried. But they do it all the time. But the Simpsons are now in the same wheelhouse, so that's why you see the Simpsons and, the, and Disney and the Marvel Universe all side by side on Disney Plus. And this okay. is and going forwards, this is why we're looking forward to things like X Men, Fantastic Four again being rebooted, but within the MCU. Emma, I was going to say. Did you stay awake for the post-credit sting? Which, of course, is a big thing with Marvel. You always have to watch all the credits, and then they'll give you a little bit. And in this one, again, I was greatly entertained by this because you also see the beginning. This is the beginning of everything, and you have the beginning of Shield, or you have the beginning of Shield, which then becomes the Avengers, and Iron Man kind of brings that all together. And the post-credit sting, you have the awesome Samuel Jackson coming out as Nick Fury. If there is a boss oh, I don't throughout the, it's Nick Fury who is heading up Shield, who's not a superhero, but is the human boss of shield which i never knew the anachronym and there's a nice running joke in iron man it's strategic homeland intervention and man i, I can't even i Defense. wrote it down I can't no no you, you almost had it it's it yeah, made, strategic it was, there's homeland. a nice running joke it was it you got to s h i what was that strategic homeland strategic homeland intelligence or some or intelligence and enforcement and enforcement division i think land division joke and they keep saying that's not very really catchy you should think of something catchier and of course it's shield and then that and shield is the ongoing secret society secret society you know what i'm trying to say secret society that that you know heads up that the avengers okay. work so yeah you are gonna oh i think that. i think you about answered my question because that's what i didn't get so how so how come the guy who makes tony stark who makes all the bombs makes himself a little suit and then how does he get into the Avengers? Who is now, who asks him to be in the Avengers and who's his boss? That's the Nick Fury guy. That's the guy from S.H.I.E.L.D. That but how did they make him do it? So it's we all, didn't see Nick Fury. We don't see him until the second and the third film. So that the second and the third films is when it's already really come up. The second film um, is the one where it sort of really comes to fore, the amount of influence they have on him. So they come to him with this idea of the... We have lim- yeah, the, the idea of the Avengers initiative and they really have to sell it on him. And they almost don't recruit him because of his massive personality defects. But Nick, Nick Fury almost doesn't recruit Tony Stark recruit, okay, I remember, oh, because he's so okay. vain and, and 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 all that. We right. have limited time though, and Iron Man Two is not so good because they hired Mickey Rourke, I think, off the back of the wrestler to be the baddie, and he's a terrible, terrible oh, baddie. I can't so believe they insured him. If we're going to do more Marvel homework. May I suggest then Avengers Assemble as the next one, as we only have a certain amount of time and limited interest from Ashley. I think Avengers Assemble will be a good one. Not my personal favourite, but I think in terms of the fitting together of the... Is that the one that I maybe... I saw the one where everyone turns to dust at the end. No, that's Infinity War. That's way in the future. This is Avengers Assemble, Ashley. They're getting together. Okay. Right. <laughs> so is, is Nick Fury everyone's boss, like Scarlett Johansson's boss Just and about. all the Chris's boss? Just about. Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, you know, all the Chris's does, boss. One, do of the Chris have... does, one of the Chris's does come from another planet, so maybe I not I don't know which is. Chris is in it. I don't care. Where does, <laughs> does he... I don't know what that is. Where um, Does Nick get his own film? No. 
Oh, that seems awesome. about he did have more. He has more to do in the, he has, no, well, he kind of does. In Captain Marvel, a digitally de-aged Nick Fury does have an awful lot to do in Captain Marvel when they go back to the 80s. Yes. The one yeah, I probably. want to do my own, I want to watch Brie Larson's one. Captain Marvel, that one. Love it. Ah, because it's the it's like a 90s soundtrack and they go oh, to Blockbuster yeah. and it's cool. Okay, can I do that one next? Excellent fight scene. I'm just a girl by no doubt. You would love that. <gasps> okay, I think if you're going to try and keep me on the track of actually performing this homework every week, we should let me do that one next time. I think that's fair. Okay, yeah. If we're going to do that, that's fine with me because then after that, I'm taking you to Rock. You can't say no. Okay. Is that the one and with the raccoon Marvel, in it? You'll love the Ragnarok. You'll love it. Ragnarok's, yeah, Taika Waititi, yeah. Yeah. With the raccoon. I have homework as well for next week, guys. Yeah. I have homework. Go on. What, no to, no to my homework? No, I, I, no I, I meant I got it wrong. Stuart was trying to tell me that Thor Ragnarok does not have the raccoon in. That's a different thing. That's Guardians of the Galaxy, which is also right. very good. All, all in my top three. So I would suggest if we're going to do this over the next three weeks, you do some Captain Marvel, you should definitely do some Ragnarok, and we should see one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. I think you'll like that. All right. Anyway, what's your homework? Me, <laughs> my homework is Norsemen on um, Netflix. Season three is dropping. Mm. Husband the Bad Taste and I have watched seasons one and two. It's very funny. It's like a pastiche send-up of all Vikings and Last Kingdom dramas which are proving so successful at the moment it's it, it's a send of a bat and it Norsemen. is Norse they've made it in both Norwegian and English they, 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 they film every episode twice so it's wow. on HBO Nordic here. so Norwegian actors pretty well known Norwegian actors I guess if you're Norwegian um but it's very very funny and that comes from we, we whipped through the first two seasons and season three is dropping and I don't think it's getting the audience it deserves so that's my homework for next week Okay. I have nothing else to share. We should, I reckon we should get, Emma and I started this, but I want to hear Stuart's take on Mrs. America. So Stuart, try and watch a couple episodes of Mrs. America. It's about the Gloria Steinem era of uh, gender equality. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look, see. And she is my Sorry, style Star icon. Girl. It's good. And then I have to do. Yeah, I, I watched one. I, yeah, I'm going to be. How many I have episodes? to do Captain. What am I doing? Captain Marvel. Yeah. Captain Marvel. Um, oh, we haven't picked an old one. I really want to make Stuart watch Bridges of Madison County because I know he'll hate it. But we should watch an actual, actual old, old one. How old are we thinking? Like proper black and white old, or? Well, something that was made not in the 90s. That's all we've done. 90s and noughties so far, isn't well, it? Well, we were talking about doing 2001 A Space Odyssey, weren't we? Oh, yes. Well, if anyone has a spare three hours, <laughs> we can wheel. You wanted to do Blade Runner, actually, didn't that's you? That's true. Also Blade Runner, yeah. So that's the 70s, isn't it, Blade Runner? And that's slightly shorter and way funner. I'm Let's okay do Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Cool. Okay. Okay, I'm on Blade Runner. I was going to say I would quite like to. There were, you know, there's. I was trying to think of other war movies, maybe having watched Greyhound, but I think maybe we don't know. We, we don't need. We can do that some other time. That's fine. Fine. Right. All right. <laughs> I, well, I think I've, I've seen Blade Runner before, but I think I could do with a refresher. I'm. It's yeah. Well, I won't spoil anything, but I'm not necessarily fully oh, in the church. Of Blade it's my favorite archaeologist ever. But we did a lot this week. So we had The Old Guard uh, with Charlize Theron. That's on Netflix. All right. As good as The Nuns, I thought. Greyhound with... <laughs> Greyhound with Tom Hanks on Apple TV was incredible. Do Not Watch Down to Earth with Zac Efron on Netflix. Also just hitting Netflix. Or through the destinations and see if there's anywhere you want to go. And then maybe just look at, just look at it on Fast Forward to see how pretty just, it is. Google it all. Um, Netflix as well has The Truman Show, which holds up. That was our oldie but goodie this week. And then I had to watch Iron Man and I stayed awake the whole time. So it was a good week. <laughs> good week. Next week will be even better. As always. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen because it makes us look dead good. Um, I'm going to actually tell people that this episode is out. I told everyone that last week's episode was out this morning. So my bad. 
um but i don't have any social media friends so it doesn't really matter does it um thanks I emma do, I see all my social media friends listening thank you very much Stuart. thank you very much ashley thanks it's, been a it's all right soon might we be able to record in the same room do you think do you think that could be something that could happen oh you can have three people in a room we'll bring all our fancy mics that we bought at the beginning of lockdown 118 days ago we might have to upgrade the microphones and they won't work with my mixing desk just saying but we'll discuss that later Mm -hmm. okay well they're they're fancy look you can see it it's got a little spit guard on it it's cool (laughs) <laughs> I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm on a 1930s radio show when I talk into my microphone yeah. anyway it's thank you, thank you everyone and thanks everyone for listening we will see you next week goodbye goodbye thank you for listening to this episode of Em and Ash Screen Queens. Goodbye.